0: May be seated. Good morning, Conduit. How are you? My name is Cameron. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, pastor Luke, uh, our associate pastor, is away on vacation this week, and he will be back here to um, to join us next week. Um, as a as a reminder, as a reminder to you. Um, uh, next next week is my last week here before I take a brief sabbatical for the remainder of the summer and um, and so pastor Luke will be here I'll be in church next week but it will be my last Sunday here among you guys for um, for a few weeks at least or a few months or whatever it ends up being it'll be until uh, around the beginning of October um, that I'm back with you so uh, we As we've uh, as we've talked about before, we covet your prayers. My family covets your prayers, um, just in the time of refreshment and restoration and renewal and rest and community in this format. But we also want you to know how much we actually want to see your face. We wanna shake your hand, we wanna give you a hug, we wanna share a cup of coffee with you. And we would love for you to experience what life is like worshiping all with us in this very room. If that's something that you'd like to be a part of, but you're just not sure how to take that next step, we would love for you to email us, to call us, to reach out to us, to let us know, hey, I wanna get involved in a more significant way. I want to connect with my church that I've been worshiping with online, actually in in the like the present room. We would love that opportunity. Shoot us an email at info at or download the Church Center app where you can connect with Conduit Ministries and fill out the Welcome Home card. And we'll get in touch with you to let you know how you can make the next steps of worshiping with us. Let's go back into worship. We'll see you there. Uh, There was a lot of preparation or there was a lot of work that went on during that week. And honestly, there's still a lot of work happening afterwards, following up with families as well as just putting things away and getting like reacclimated to normal, um, normal children's ministry life. But as is often the case, I I want to I want to be um, I want to be able to remind you of the reality that like, listen, you you may have had a what you think is like a really small Maybe like insignificant role. Oh, you, do, you, you donated some, or you gave some money for craft supplies, or you maybe cut some shapes out, or you were a teacher for one day, or you were there and you did snack or craft or whatever, or you, you donated money so we could buy Bibles for all the kids, or you just joined us in prayer, or whatever the case may be. Listen, there are, there are no insignificant roles in the kingdom of God. There is no lesser and greater roles there are no roles or jobs that are more important or that are or that are less important every single thing um every single person every single job every single piece of the puzzle is integral for the whole so i just want to say uh, again from the bottom of my heart thank you so much for the way kind that you showed up and that you served and that you loved and that you you provided for um you know Between fifty and sixty kids, I think was, or like between, I think we had like between forty and sixty kids. The day is kind of flexed in and out, but it was just a great week. So again, I want to, um, I want to say thank you. I'm super proud uh, to be your pastor and to be a part of what God is doing here. So, um, okay, Um, well, last week we started a series in a genre of scripture called the Minor Prophets. Okay. Now, if you didn't get a chance, to, if you weren't here last week to hear that sermon, or you didn't get a chance to watch it online or to, to backtrack through it online, I would encourage you to do so. It's up on our YouTube. The, our YouTube channel is the easiest way to listen to those messages afterwards, right? Because Facebook kind of like makes them go away after a little while if you watch them there. But you can go to our YouTube channel. Um And there's the services there, and then there's just the message portion that is there. But I encourage you to go back and take a listen to that message if you didn't get an opportunity to do so. Because it starts out by giving kind of a general explanation of what I mean when I say minor prophets versus what I would mean when I said major prophets. Or why the Bible, for instance, is separated or broken up into sections that don't make chronological sense. Which is why we generally encourage people as they're as they're coming into a new familiarity with the Bible or is to not necessarily read it from the front cover to the back cover without understanding that there that there is some layering that happens with those books there. That that the prof, the prophetic books that, that sit normally at the end of the Old Testament are actually can be like. Transcribed onto the historical books of the Old Testament that you see in the beginning of your Bible, so like the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Judges, Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, Ezra, Ruth, Nehemiah, right? All of these, all of these books that record the, his, the, the history of the people of God, right? And then you have this section of books over here, the prophetic books that they seem kind of like off in their own little never-never land and without any context or like what's going on here. Well, really what we need to do is we need to pick those up and place them on top of the historical books because they're happening simultaneously. Our Bibles just break them up by genre or by like the type of literature that they are. Which is why we see all the historical books in kind of in one section in the Old Testament and then you get into a section right in the middle of your Bible Psalms, Proverbs, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes that are their own little genre which kind of they sound poetic. They are poetic, right? And they sound like they sound like songs and and hymns and poems and prayers because that's what they were, right? They were not meant to communicate historical information like books earlier in the old testament were and then of course the new testament has their own genres the the gospels right are kind of a historical narrative retelling from a certain perspective story and life of jesus and then the letters that paul wrote the epistles the general letters so we have this like That's kind of a a mini little section in like the history and formation of of Scripture. We'll talk more about that here at Conduit as time goes on. Um, But it's important for you to understand those kind of realities when when you're approaching um, uh, books like the Minor Prophets, for instance. Last week, we talked about a guy named Hosea, and we talked about the pattern or the rhythm of... Of prophecy as it pertained to the nation of Israel, and there was this there was this general pattern, right, that the that the nation of Israel or the people of God were falling into sin, right, and they would fall into idolatry, or they would fall um they would fall into um, to, to wickedness, right, and then God would raise up a prophet, and that prophet would speak on behalf of God. Um, with an exhortation and an admonition for the people to repent of their sins, to, to lay down and destroy their idols, and to return to God because consequences for their idolatry were either coming or they were in the midst of experiencing them right there in that moment. And then if they would turn from their wickedness and turn again to God and repent of their sin, that God would restore them, and that God was God was eager to see their bre- their blessing and their and their fruitfulness, but that God was was punishing them for their sin. And this was the story of Hosea, and we heard how God had encouraged Hosea to um, to marry this woman uh, named Gomer, and how and how Gomer became an an, an adulterous wife. And how and how God used even that situation to speak into Hosea's life um, about the nation or the people of Israel that 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 this is what Israel, this is what my people have done to me. They have committed spiritual adultery against me, their their Lord and their God. And and hey Hosea, can you feel it now? Can you feel the weight of that? Today we're gonna be talking about a Small little, okay, like, so I understand that not everyone, um, not everyone kind of grew up in church or in Sunday school or in youth group or everything like that. Um, you don't need to have any church experience whatsoever to, to come here to Conduit. This is your home, okay? Um, but I know that some of us did, right? And so some of you, when I say, um, sword drills, do you know what sword drills are? Raise your hand if you know what a sword drill is. Okay. All right, we got some church people in this room. Okay. All right, so um, listen, here's what we're gonna do. We're on the honor system right now. If you have your Bible open, I want you to close your Bible. Close your Bible if you. No fingers in your Bibles. No bookmarks. You hold it by the binding, not by the pages. All right. These are like church sword drill rules 101, okay. All right? So here's the rules. I am going to say the reference. So I will say the book, the chapter, and the verse. And then you are going to repeat the book, the chapter, and the verse. So if I said Genesis 1, verse 1, you would say... Genesis 1, verse 1. And I would say, charge. And then that would be like your... like That would be like the green light for you to... Furiously, but of course, humbly, and in a Christ-like manner, <laughs> race your neighbors to find that reference. And once you find the reference, you are to stand up, and you are to read it. And the first one to stand up, basically, the first one that stands up and reads it. Don't don't stand up if you don't have it. All right, it doesn't count unless you're reading it. Right, and um, to read read the. Um, to actually read the reference that we have here. Okay, so listen, we have um, we have before we do a sword drill. Before, slow down, Christians. All right. I mean, Jesus, all you Sunday schoolers are like chubbing at the bit to get ahead, right? <laughs> like, um, we we need to have a theology by vote here. We don't normally do theology by vote because that's not how we do theology, right? But we're going to be reading, we're going to be studying the book of Habakkuk today. Or we're going to be studying the book of Habakkuk. Okay? (laughs) So I'm only going to pronounce it one way. All right? (laughs) We're going to decide if I'm pronouncing it Habakkuk or Habakkuk. Okay. Habakkuk. Arms down. Habakkuk. Uh, okay, Habakkuk, the traditional Hebrew pronunciation is the way we're pronouncing it. It's a little bit more difficult for me, so i got to think about it every single time, enunciating the right syllable. Okay, are you ready? Draw your swords. Habakkuk, chapter 3, verse 19. Habakkuk, chapter 3, verse 19. Charge. Natalie Hastings. Natalie, can you read that out for me? Thank you very much. Everyone give it up for Natalie Hastings who won the church competition. And if you're thinking, this is my first time in church and y'all are weird... You're right, we are. Um, so we are in the book of Habakkuk this week. It's a short It's a short little book. It's a really easy read, okay? It's only three chapters long. Um, we did print out some of these. Y'all liked them so much that we ran out of the booklets last week. We are trying to get some more of those printed. If you didn't get one, we'll try and have them here for you next week. Um but they will give you some background information on each of the books as well as, excuse me, a place to take notes. Habakkuk is a little bit different, um, uh, is a little bit different than the other prophetic books in the Old Testament. One of the reasons that it's different is because in almost all of the prophetic books, we see that the prophet is speaking to the people. On behalf of God, God gives them a message and they're to carry that message to the people. It's part of the pattern, right? Part of the rhythm. Habakkuk is a little different because what Habakkuk does is it records, or the book records, the interaction that the prophet has with God. Actually, it doesn't involve the people at all. Habakkuk does not address the people in the book, God does not address the people. But Habakkuk and God kind of have this back-and-forth conversation. Some would call it an argument. Some would call it kind of an honest push-pull about like Habakk- what Habakkuk thinks about the wickedness that's going on in the world and what God's proposed response is and how Habakkuk is kind of like, okay, you're God and I get it, but have you considered? But have you considered? And it, I think it shows us, just the general principle there shows us a lot about like the, um, the level of honesty um, at which God is willing to receive our genuine questions that are birthed out of what we think or what we see as pain or injustice or wickedness in the world. And I hope that we get to talk about that a little bit, okay? So, you see here in Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, the Habakkuk's main complaint. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? I cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked, they hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Habakkuk starts out with kind of this complaint to God or this honest questioning to God that is probably not too dissimilar to some of the questions, if you're paying attention in the world, right? Probably not too dissimilar to some of the questions that we've had even existentially about what is going on in this world. Like, where are we? And what is happening? And and God, where are you? And are you listening at all? Can you, can you hear your people? Can you hear all of creation crying out and groaning for help and salvation from you? Look at what is going on here. See what is happening. Justice is not prevailing at all. And your, your law, Lord, and your word is being perverted and destroyed around every single corner lord where are you are you going to show up this was Habakkuk's complaint this was his cry this was his prayer in essence and 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 maybe maybe never before in human history have we there's been some times in human history I understand that but like how universal of a human experience is Habakkuk's prayer. That wickedness seems like overwhelming to the point where we're like wondering, Lord, where are you? Are you going to show up? What are you going to do in the midst of this? And far from God remaining silent in that moment, he actually answers Habakkuk. And it's an interesting way that he answers him. Um, because we typically i think when we when we ask god a question even if it's somewhat of a rhetorical question we have in mind a preferred modality of him answering right like this is what it will mean for you to answer me in the way that my question really like that would really answers my question lord we might not say it like that right but we have already we have already concocted the correct response of the Lord in our head. And that's what we expect. And that's what we want. And that's what we desire. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? But, but as well, what, what often happens, and, and what happens here in Habakkuk's life, is that the Lord answered in a way that he was not expecting at all. And he says this in chapter 1 Look at the nations. And be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. Now, preachers, yanking that verse out of context all the time, will use it to describe all of the great and wonderful things that God has planned for us in the future. Now. We're not arguing that God's doing great and wonderful things in the future, right? But this is not the verse to describe what we want God to do in the future because then God goes on to say how he's going to bring absolute and utter destruction upon the wickedness of the world. God's like, hey, you want me to act? All right, um, hold my communion wine. Here we go. (laughs) All right? Time to do it. I am raising up the Babylonians, God says, that ruthless and impetuous people, those who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They are a law only to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards. They are fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture swooping to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose strength is their own God. God says, Habakkuk, I have actually heard your cry. And I do in fact see the wickedness of the people. And I, I, I do in fact know what I am about to do. I am, I am going to raise up the Babylonian people who are an evil, ruthless, wicked people, even unto their own. Their own strength and their own military power has become, what he says in verse 11, has become their own God. They, the Babylonians, um, they, they worship at the idol of their military prowess. And they run around absolutely devouring and demolishing every nation that stands in their way. And they are a ruthless and wicked people. And so I'm assuming if you would be, if Habakkuk was anything like maybe you or I, who had concocted an answer in their head about what God would do in order to cut off The wickedness of the people that he may have been a little shook by God's answer and he should have been because this is so far outside of where we thought that God would go in this direction thought that maybe that there would be a gentle wooing of the people back into covenant relationship with him and listen God woos people back into covenant relationship with him. We're not talking about a God either does it this way or God does it this way and there's no, it's, it's just black and white. No. Actually, there's a lot of gray area in the way that God calls people and brings people back into repentance and redemption. And he does it in all manners of ways, and we see it in all manners of ways in Scripture. He does it very, he does it very, like, starkly and definitively, raising up an evil and ruthless people to bring about the destruction of the Israelites so that they are turned back to him in repentance. And then he does it very gently over time. It's not either or. So the Lord replies, I do see, you will be amazed, I am raising up the Babylonians. And then so, how does Habakkuk respond to the Lord's answer here? Oh, O Lord, verse 12 of chapter one. Oh O Lord, are um are you not from everlasting? My God, my holy one, we we will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O Rock, you have ordained them to punish me. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You You have made men like fish in the sea like sea creatures that have no ruler the the wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks he he catches them in his net he gathers them up in his dragnet and so he rejoices and he's glad therefore he he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet for by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest of foods is he is he to keep on emptying his net destroying the nations without mercy Lord, I, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what you will say to me and what answer you will give to my complaint. I mean, Habakkuk's response to God, it tells me a few things. One, it tells me that... I I mean, I think that, like, the nature of Habakkuk and God's relationship was, was deeply intimate and significant, first of all. Because God just flat out was like, yeah, I'm going to wipe everyone out. All of the wickedness by the hands of the Babylonians. And then Habakkuk is like, okay, but are you sure you want to do that? Are you sure? Will you allow the treacherous to like the wicked to to destroy those who are maybe wicked themselves but definitely less wicked? And there's this like there's this deep intimacy that is kind of woven into the vulnerability and the honesty of the conversation that they have there, you know? And this is true, we, we can recognize this in our own relationships, right? Is that the people that we love the most and are closest to and have the most intimate relationship with we're usually willing to talk to with the least amount of filter. Right? Because there's a, there's a sense of like relative safety and security and intimacy in that relationship and so we know... We don't really got to watch too closely the words that come out of our mouth because the relationship is safe. It's already built on a strong foundation. I get the sense that Habakkuk is is drawing on the intimacy of his relationship with God to ask honest questions that are in his heart about how God is going to deal with the the prevalence of the wicked. And I wonder if even in our own prayer life and in our... In the ways that we interact with God and that and that and that we speak to God, if the if the level of our like if, if our approach with God and our honesty with God and our vulnerability with God kind of betrays our own sense of intimacy with him, both in a negative and a positive way. Because Habakkuk he he enters into this conversation and he's like, Lord, the Babylonians are worse than the wickedness that you're out to destroy they're actually worse I don't I don't understand why do you tolerate the treacherous why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves in verse 13 why would you tolerate them any more that you're tolerating us and then he says this kind of like it almost Sounds like, in a way, I guess, suppose you could read it anyway. You could read it as a very, like, honest and vulnerable moment, or you can read it as kind of like a toddler temper tantrum. I will wait out on this rampart until you give me an answer. The end of verse 2, or the end of chapter 1 there. I will stand at my watch. I will station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Okay? So he waits for God. And what does the Lord do? The Lord answers him, right? The Lord is, the Lord is, is gentle with Habakkuk. He's not. He doesn't cast him off. He doesn't say, hey, look, man, you don't know what you're talking about, and it's none of your business, and I'll do what I want to do, and just sit over there and be quiet, right? Um, but he says this, the beginning of chapter 2, then the Lord replied, chapter 2, verse 2, excuse me then the lord replied write down write down the revelation or write down what i'm about to tell you okay write down the revelation make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it for the revelation waits an appointed time it speaks of the end and will not prove false Though it lingers, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. We'll pause here for a moment, and then we're going to talk about what the actual revelation is, okay? Um, God wants to ensure that, that the promise or the revelation that He's about to give Habakkuk is not forgotten, Now, why why would it be forgotten? Likely, it would be like if you were to have an intimate conversation or experience with God, like we see Habakkuk having right here, you're not likely to forget the experience, right? I'm not likely to forget it. That'd be a story I would be telling my kids, that'd be a story I'd be telling my grandkids. Every single person I came in contact with, I would want them to know. Why would he ask Habakkuk to write it down? Because he said, right? You need to wait for it. The revelation is coming. But even though it tarries, wait for it. It's going to linger. It's going to linger. And it's going to linger. And it's going to come at an appointed time. It will certainly not delay. I believe that God told Habakkuk to write it down because Habakkuk was never going to see the promise of the revelation. He was never going to see the, the, the fulfillment of the promise that God was about to make to him, right? Which was not only would God deal with the wickedness of the people of Israel through the Babylonians, but that the wickedness of the Babylonians has not escaped the eyes of God as well, and that even though he would be, the Babylonians would be his tool and his instrument to bring the Israelites to a state of repentance, that he was certainly going to deal with the wickedness of the Babylonians as well. And then it would be at that time and at that moment that the Israelite nation would return to him, would repent and, ret- and turn from their idolatry. But listen. Habakkuk was one of those guys that received the promise of God and was charged with writing it down so that future generations would stand on the promise of God's deliverance for them. Because the, the the promises that God often gives, right, We just like we have always concocted answers in our heads to the questions that that we ask God about, like, this is how you should answer this, God. This is, what, this is what I have in mind when I ask this question, when, how it should be answered, right? But we, all, we don't just have the answer in mind, what do we also have in mind? The timeline, right? God, I got a problem here, and can't you see what's going on? And can't you see the issue? And, and why aren't you acting? And why aren't you moving? And why don't I see you doing something about this? And and in a similar way that Habakkuk had his experience, I believe that God also has this experience with us. Hold on to your seats. Okay? I am doing something. But I need you to write it down. Okay? Because. Because in your mind it's going to seem to linger, maybe not just for a time period, but maybe just for maybe for a generation. Maybe for several generations. Right? But that but that the Lord's timing here is is both paramount and, and perfect, right? God, listen, God has his finger in the water of your life, and it is so sensitive that the temperature will not get one degree hotter in the trials of your life than He has purposed for it to be for your good and for your sanctification and for your growth in Him. Not a single degree hotter. Not a single second longer. Not a minuscule sliver more difficult. God has perfectly measured out the degree to which you will experience the difficult things that you are experiencing in order to fully and completely turn your eyes towards him, sanctify your heart and soul, and have you return to him with all of your heart. It is a kindness and a mercy and a gentleness of God that does not Allow us to experience pain a single second more than he has purposed for its for its accomplishment in our lives. And so he tells Habakkuk, write this down, don't forget it. It waits an appointed time, though it lingers, it will come. And he basically says this: He says, Listen, I see their wickedness, and it will certainly be dealt with and handled. He's speaking of the Babylonians, right? Because that was Habakkuk's complaint. You're going to use the Babylonians? They're twice as wicked as we are. And God's like, hey, look, I I see their wickedness. And that's basically all of chapter um, 2, verses 4 through 20 is. It's, It's God responding to this complaint of Habakkuk and him telling him, hey, look, I see all that is going on in the Babylon with the Babylonian like empire and world, and I I see it all perfectly, even more clearly than you. And I'm going to deal with it in its own time. Their desires are not upright. Woe to them who pile up stolen goods, who make themselves wealthy by extortion. He's talking about the Babylonians, right? And he gives kind of six woes here, like woe to the, woe to the Babylonians for this, and woe to the Babylonians for that, and woe to the Babylonians for this, and woe to the Babylonians for that. He basically says, hey, look, Your argument is null and void. I see the wickedness of the Babylonians even more clear than you do, and just because I'm using them to bring the people of Israel to their knees in repentance, does not believe that does not mean that I'm giving them a pass on their own wickedness. Their time will come, but you need to hold on and wait for it. And indeed the Israelite people were under Babylonian rule for a long time. They came sweeping through, destroying everything that was natural to the Israelite nation, scattering the people outside of the Promised Land, essentially trying to water down and assimilate the Babylonian culture into the covenant culture of God so so that there would be no distinguishing factors of the covenant um, community of God any longer. And so we come to chapter 3 then, Habakkuk's essential reply to this, like promise of God to see justice come, even for them, and the the structure here, uh, or like kind of the the sound or the feel even of the of the book changes in this moment, and chapter three chapter 3 reads like and sounds like what we would call a lament um, a lament is kind of it's a it's a it's a literary term that we use to describe kind of like a section of scripture or a piece of literature that um, that voices a complaint that seeks to draw God's attention to To the subject matter at hand and implores God to respond or to react on behalf of what is seen. We see a lot of laments, for instance, in the Psalms. Many of our Psalms are laments. If you, as a for instance, look at Psalm chapter 42, Psalm chapter 42 and 43 are two very um, very, uh, I guess you could say, famous lament psalms. Let's, let's look at Psalm 43. I think we should have it up for you. Vindicate me, O God. Plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Rescue me from a deceitful and wicked man. You, God, are my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the harp, O God, my God. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. It's an example here of how the psalmist writes in this fashion of, of, of complaint, like letting the complaint out towards the Lord. Where are you? My soul is downcast. Come and save me and rescue me from this, this weight that I am under. And this is ends up being Habakkuk's response to the words of God that says, hey, look, I'm going to deal with it. You need to be patient. It's going to linger, but listen... I promise you. I promise you. And Habakkuk responds like this. Lord, I have heard of your fame. At the beginning of chapter 3. I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Now we talked about prayers that maybe we shouldn't be praying out of context, out of Habakkuk, right? Back in verse uh, chapter five or chapter one, verse five. Look at the nations and be utterly amazed, for I'm am going to do something in your days that you would not even believe if you were told. Not a great prayer to be praying, especially in context, because that's a that's a proclamation of God's judgment on the nations, right? But the prayer of Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 1 is like, is the prayer we pray, right? Lord, we have heard of your fame. We stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. And we are praying, Lord, renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In your wrath, Lord, remember mercy. That's a prayer to pray, Lord. We have heard of all of the great things that we have done. You have you have testified and witnessed to it to us through your Holy Spirit, through your Word. We see all of your fame. We see all of your great deeds, de- Lord. We are asking you to renew in our day the 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 glory of seemingly old, which is still new, and forever from everlasting to everlasting. And then he goes about to describe. As in like a almost reminding himself, Habakkuk reminding himself about the glory and the honor and the power of God. God came from Timon, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory, it covered the heavens and His praise filled the earth. His splendor, the Lord's splendor was like the sunrise raised, flashed from His hand where His power was hidden. Plagues went before him pestilence followed his steps he stood and shook the earth he looked and made the nations tremble the ancient, the ancient mountains crumbled the age-old hills collapsed his ways are eternal i saw the tents of kushan in distress the dwellings of midian in anguish were you angry with the rivers o lord Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots? Certainly an allusion to the Exodus there. You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of waters swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Verse 11. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness and you stripped him from head to foot. Habakkuk is, in a way, reminding himself of the mighty acts of God as he has in past delivered the people from those who oppressed them with wickedness. And we see all kinds of allusion here of Habakkuk's remembering of the the events of the Exodus where where God delivered the Israelite people, his covenant people, out of oppression and out of slavery from the land of Egypt and walked them through the waters of the Red Sea. And when Pharaoh and his armies pursued them and they were fearful of their life, God showed up in a mighty and tremendous way to wipe out the wicked and the enemies of the people of God and establish the people of God forever in their land. And Habakkuk is, is retelling that story to himself Because we need to be reminded of the ways that God has worked mightily on our behalf in the past in order to be rooted in the hope and the promise of God in the future. If our memories are short, then our idolatry to things that cannot save us is quick. And just like the Babylonians who who were idolatrous towards their military prowess, must not have been reading the history books of God's mighty acts against the Egyptians, right? They had soon forgotten. But Habakkuk remembered and said, Lord, like you have delivered us in the past, like you have showed up in a mighty way in the past, Lord, we are standing on the promise of what you did in the past, that you will do it in the future even if it lingers, even if we can't see it, it will certainly come. It will not delay, Lord. We will wait for it. You will come out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. Verse 16. It almost feels like Habakkuk had this kind of like heart change in this moment. Like, like he finally, he was like, oh, yes, Lord, I will wait. I will wait patiently for your deliverance. I will wait patiently for your salvation. I know it is coming, Lord. I know it is coming. He says this in verse 16 through 19. I heard, I heard from the Lord, right? I heard in my heart, My lips quivered at the sound. Decay decay crept into my bones. My legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Lord, I am afraid. I can basically hear the sound of the chariots from Babylon coming. And I know that they are coming to destroy us. Decay is, decay is creeping into my bones. My legs are trembling. But I will wait patiently, Lord. You have not abandoned us. You have not left us. I will wait we- I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig trees here do not bud, and there will be no grapes on the vines, though our olive crop may fail, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet, Lord, I will rejoice in you. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Because you, the sovereign Lord, you are my strength. You make my feet like the feet of a deer. You enable me to go on the heights. And so Habakkuk stands in this place of, Lord, the wickedness is great. Why aren't you answering? And God's like, Oh, I am answering. And the wickedness of the Babylonians is coming and they will deal with it. And he's like, That's not what I meant. Not like that. I don't want to see that, and God and God's like, don't worry. This is the way that it must be, and this is not the end. And 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 I will answer your cry for for the for the wickedness of the Babylonians to be um to be done away with, right? Wait, and and then Habakkuk's like sense of. Uh, I want to say revelation or transformation of heart, where he, where he then finally he he came to a place of saying, "Okay, Lord, in the midst of not knowing the timing, in the midst of not understanding the manner in which you are you're going to do this, Lord, I, I see and I receive that it is my job, and my place and my position." To wait patiently in faith because you have promised that you would show up and I know that you will. And then he... And then it ends. And we have no sense at all that Habakkuk ever got the opportunity to see the... The, um, the, fruit, the fruit of the promise of God come into like, actual existence. That, that he ever got to see the Babylonians run out of Israel and the temple restored. That he, that he ever got to see the fulfillment of the promise. But Habakkuk stood there in faithfulness to say, Lord, I will wait patiently, even though it lingers, I will wait. I will wait. Sometimes sometimes we need to wait for the promises of God. And sometimes those promises they extend beyond they extend beyond even our own generation. Even our own even our own like legacies. All right? That 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 listen like when When you're when you're I I see this with my kids, right? And 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 I've and I've always felt like God had had called me as a person and 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 as a father to to change the like the trajectory, the spiritual trajectory of my family. And like the 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 culture of like the lineheart name and family and the direction going forward and like that that we that we be established on faithfulness and and christ likeness and as, as disciples of Jesus and and like look I, I take I take the first I take the first step right but I but I never I may never see the the fruitfulness the way that my great-grandkids serve the Lord the way that my great-grandkids um, lead people into the kingdom of God the way that my great-grandkids proclaim the gospel right I may never I may never see like the fulfillment of that promise but but I'm, I'm going to write it down somewhere so that no one forgets that God has done it in the past. And so God's going to do it in the future, right? And it's the same with you. Is that we're, we're living, listen, we are living towards eternal legacies. Not legacies of 80 years, okay? Legacies of, inter- of eternity, this, this life is this life is a mist it is the Lord reigns let the earth be glad let the distant shores rejoice clouds and thickness darkness surrounded him righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side his lightning lights up the world The earth sees and trembles. The mountains, they melt like wax before the Lord. The heavens proclaim His righteousness, and all people see His glory. All who worship images, they are put to shame. Those who boast in idols, worship Him. Zion hears and rejoices. and The villages of Judah are glad because of Your judgments, O Lord. For You, O Lord, are the Most High over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. Let those who love the Lord hate evil for he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is shed upon the righteous and the joy of the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you are righteous and praise his holy name. Amen. Conduit, you are loved. Be blessed and have a great week.